Today on Unexpected Hauntings, we have our very special Halloween episode where it's going to be featured. We did a live stream on Twitch of a couple of creepy stories. I hope that you guys enjoy it. Stay tuned, spooky listeners. Listen if you dare. As we unfold stories of unexplained happenings and phenomena, write in at unexpectedhauntings739 at gmail.com. This is where the unexpected and ghost stories are brought into reality. This is Unexpected Hauntings. That's right, everyone, and welcome back to Unexpected Hauntings. I know it's been a long time. It's been a very, very busy month, um, but thank you guys so much for being so patient. Um, Halloween is just around the corner, and we have got some crazy stories for you in for today. It's crazy. This Halloween is this weekend, and um, I figured, what better to do it with than to actually um, share stories from doing a live stream on Twitch. That's right. We did a live ghost story podcast on Twitch. It was so much fun. We had a lot of people that came by, um, and it was just a great, great time. So if you guys hear anything in the background, um, that is actually coming from the stream itself. Um, so I hope everyone is having a great and wonderful um, Halloween month, and uh, I hope everyone is staying safe during this crazy time. Um, and uh, we've got some stories about a grave. Um, basically, it's uh, someone that um, has actually has a night shift job at a grave site, and it goes terribly wrong. That's later on, and then we have. A, a intro to that cave story from the last episode as well. And we've just got some more amazing, amazing stories to have for you. So it's going to be incredible. It's going to be different. We're not going to have a uh, talk about each, every episode. We're just going to be shotgunning the episodes for you. And um, if you guys have any questions, any questions at all, uh, feel free to email us at unexpectedhauntings739 at gmail.com. We'd love to get your feedback on this. We'd love to also have your ghost stories be sent in, whether it be on media file or written in. That would be fantastic. And then we can share your ghost stories. So without further ado, we're going to go straight in to the stories I hope that everyone has a fun and safe Halloween. I love you guys so much. Here we go into the first story for our Halloween special of Unexpected Hauntings. I hope you guys enjoy it and never forget to stay spooky, listeners. It's called Colt Road and it takes place in central Massachusetts. Here we go, my friends. Gather around the campfire as we tell our first story. It's going to be amazing. Here we go. 
I was about 18 years old at the time of this story. I grew up in central Massachusetts. A friend I had a friend and I had gone out to dinner a couple of ta- couple towns over from her house. On the way home, I missed a turn and ended up at a crossroad I was unfamiliar with. At the end of the road, we could either go right or left. And directly across the road we were on was a closed red gate. Behind it was a path leading into the woods. My friend also wasn't sure exactly where we were, but I knew to take a left to attempt to find our way back into a more familiar territory. We both tried using our phones for the GPS, but neither of us had service. The road was very dark, no lights, lots of trees on either side of the road. Every few hundred feet were more closed gates, similar to the original one we had seen. It was really creepy, but I continued on for a bit while nothing much of it, while thinking not much of it. Eventually, I pulled over to attempt to get service. When this didn't work, we decided to turn around and backtrack to where we'd come from. It was a little little creepy again, but again, we didn't think much of it as we made it home and nothing came of it. However, a few weeks later, a friend of mine began telling us a story of a road in the area supposedly known as Colt Road. She told us that there was a cult that lived in the woods and held rituals and would allegedly kidnap or torture unsuspected victims or worse. She told us she drove through the area one day and saw a small animal nailed to a tree not far off from the road. Another friend of mine chimed in and said that she was driving that area with her dad once and there was a car on the side of the road on fire. Her father was a police officer, and, he, and she assumed they would pull over. But quite the opposite. Her dad sped up and kept quiet. My friend surprisingly asked her father why he wouldn't stop. He explained to her that there were groups of bad people on the road, and he feared for her safety. After hearing these stories my friends were telling me, they described the road to me. You come to the end of the main street from town. There's a red gate at the end of the road, and you go to the right or the left. Right takes you to another town within a couple miles, but left takes you down the Colt Road, where there's closed gates on either side, no lights, and nothing but forest. My heart sank as I made the realization that it was the same road my friend and I had gotten lost on, not too long ago. Time passed and another friend of ours grew curious about the road and decided to drive up there with a group. He called us and said and said one of the gates was opened and they had made the stupid decision to drive up the path to see where it went to. I don't think they took the stories very seriously as he was describing the path and driving up his phone lost service. The friends I was with got worried and he decided we decided to drive up there ourselves and see if they needed help. 
On our way to the road, our friend called back and said he had lost service. They had found an abandoned barn in the woods up the path they had driven up, but nothing else. As it was getting dark, they took off and were heading back home, but we were already on the road. My friend, we'll call her Molly, was driving the car. She, dri- she gripped the steering wheel hard and kept her eyes on the road. All of a sudden, something hit the side of the car. It didn't sound hard, like a rock or anything, but we couldn't tell what it was. Another hit us just a few weeks later, a third skidding across the windshield just after that. Molly pressed on the gas as hard as she could and sped out of there. They're trying to get us off the road, she said flatly. I was too scared and said anything and to say anything, but Molly continued to explain that they probably wanted to get us to slow down or pull over so they could do something with us. What that something is, I don't know, and I'm so glad I never found out. We never went back to that road, not me at least, but it still scares me to think about, especially the fact that before even knowing what it was, I had pulled over on it and something could have easily happened to my friend and I that night in a seemingly innocent moment. I've tried looking everywhere online for any kind of information or trace of this cult road or anyone with a similar story, but I've never come across one. I would love to hear any similar stories. Because if you're not reading a ghost story in Kattegat, then where you at, my dudes? <laughs> All right, guys, here we go. This is a pretty deep story, so I hope you guys are ready. All right. Here we go. Darkness is covering me on all sides, dangling by only a few cords in the depths of the earth I know that it's likely even if I scream, no one above will ever hear me. I'm going to die down here. If this cave doesn't kill me, the nightmares that lurk in the shadows will. I hear them moving about the cave walls, scrambling to find me with smell and sound. When I felt a jerk on my bungee cord, I plummeted towards the unknown. Ten hours earlier. My name is Arthur Warren, and I'm a cave rescuer. What that means is when teams of ropers find themselves stuck underground, I'm the one that's supposed to get them out. I don't get many missions these days, but when I do, I know they come from my sister-in-law, Marguerite. Marjorie, I think that's what it is. Marjorie, I'm, I'm terrible with words. Um, the message she sent me was sort of sort was short but foreboding. Collapse at Ulthar Caverns. Bring the team ASAP. Marjorie works for the military, and it was a little surprised to find out when I did arrive that the site in question was in fact a man-made borehole deep underground away from prying eyes. Besides myself, I trust only four other individuals to be able to do this job, and all of them have years of experience. Matt 
Jonah, Harley, and Brett are about the best cave divers, diggers, divers you can get trapped with. As our helicopter landed on the edge of Cliff Base, Marjorie was the one to fill us in on what was going on. We've been drilling this site for the past few years to retrieve fossil fuels, raw materials that are harder to find on the East Coast, and also because it's one of the most hollow points this side of the Grand Canyon, we were about to reach the next depth marker when the collapse occurred. A rock slide from the western trench of the expanse was was has buried our team in this pocket of caves here, she said, showing us the map. What is this? Brett asked, pointing towards some of the man-made facilities on the upper levels. During our time, we have managed to set up several fright elevators that can take us deep into the Earth's mantle. In fact, some of them even run down the past run down past the depth of our team, straight to the subterranean lava lakes. Marjorie paused and cleared her throat, clearly trying to, f to find the right words for what she was to say next. Ordinar ordinarily, we only send high, highly equipped robotic drones to that level of scoping and radar. But we believe there may be a way to follow those tunnels back up to the level where our miners are currently trapped. So you want us to go down to get out? Matt said. We're going to try to push through both sides. One team heading down the main pit here, and then this, then a second team will gradually drill equipment to the other side of the rock slide here. If we time it right, you should be able to bring them the supplies they need to survive until our drills reach them. Otherwise, it's just a waste of resources, my sister-in-law experienced, or explained. As my, my men began to converse among themselves, she gestured for me to speak to her privately, and we stepped into a different part of the tent. Samuel is down here, she whispered, her husband's name. What in blazes was he thinking, I asked. We've never really worried too much about structural problems before this, but a recent discovery changed the entire trajectory of this mansion, she explained. What do you mean? She glanced out toward my team and added, This has to stay between us for now. I pulled her a little further away and muttered, But I can't make promises if my team will be in danger. What exactly did you find down there? Difficult to say, for sure, but, but during the last scouting, Sam said that there were some readings that didn't match up with our previous scans, she explained. New pockets of the cavern? I asked. She took she shook her head, walking over to the briefcase and, and talking and taking out a small laptop, showing me an image of the caves down below. The scan was taken three days ago by radar, she said. Um oh shoot. I missed my spot. There you go. Then <laughs> she pulled up another image and it looked entirely different. This one was made only yesterday. I found myself immediately confused. Are you trying to tell me the cave has changed? That's not possible. Sam and the others were heading down there to find out why there was a discrepancy. 
We tried to we tried to do another geological reading after this, but we kept getting interference from something below. Caves don't just reshape themselves, Marjorie. There has to be a mistake here, I told her. And I hope that your mission will give us an answer. 2,200 hours in. The fright elevator looked old, worn out from overuse, and didn't really and didn't really um, instill confidence in any of us. The unease in my team increased when Marjorie's supervisor insisted that armed men go down with us. Are you expecting the rocks to attack? Jonah teased. But the soldiers were sto- s- s- let's see, stoically silent. It made us all feel as if they were hiding something. Slowly, we descended into the pit, hundreds of meters flashing by in mere seconds as the world above became just a distant memory. All of us were wondering how deep we could go before finally reaching our destination. I have been in my subterranean area in my job, and it never gets easy to face the unknown. Halfway down the elevator slammed to a stop, and all of us fell on the floor as the power shut off. Whoa, is everyone okay? Brett shouted. His voice echoed in the darkness. The radio on my belt crackled to life. Arthur. Arthur, this is Marjorie. We've seen, we we have seem to have a new problem. The rock slide has shifted again, and power is cut off in your sector. You'll have to transverse the remain, remainder of the pit by rope. All of the soldiers activated the flashes on their helmets as we searched for the emergency exit and climbed to the roof of the elevator, out in the emptiness of the pit. Only further darkness greeted us. How much further down do you suppose to go? we have to go? Matt asked as um, his own headlamp hardly even illuminated a few feet below. Probably another good two miles, the soldier admitted as we began to set up a pulley system on the roof of the elevator. All of us would start descending one by one from this point, cautiously, testing our weight on the rope as we lowered our bodies towards the unknown. Before we dropped, I double-checked the protective gear we had on. As we went lower, temperatures in the pit would increase and oxygen would become limited. Every second mattered, and we couldn't afford mistakes. Already we'd been down here a half a day. As we finished the checks, I heard a strange groaning noise somewhere in the cavern, and all of us switched on our headlamps, quickly scanning the rock walls. Must have been in the release of trapped air, Brett said. All of us never... All of us knew better, but we didn't argue. The journey below was going to be perilous enough, and we couldn't afford tension to get the better of us. Soon we were moving down the chasm, the dim light from our headlamps, the only thing to keep us from bumping into one another as we went. Every few moments, we would hear the strange groaning again. It sounded like breathing, and then there were noises that reminded me of the clatter of hooks. 
There was something there. All of us could feel its unseen eyes on us. Suddenly, the cable began to sway and shake. Something above was causing us to become unstable. Matthew, what did you see? I shouted. The groaning noise began louder and louder as a rope buckled, and I held on for dear life if something severed the connection above. It would be a long drop to certain death. Matthew's screams echoed from above as I heard what sounded like his bones breaking. I tried to get a good look, but he was too far above me. Then a second later, silence filled the pit and all of us became as stiff as boards. We could hear whatever we, we whatever had just killed our friend moving along the cave walls. It made its this strange rattling noise as though searching for us by sound alone. Then it stopped and I held my breath. I wasn't sure that it was right there on the wall beside me. I saw a gleaming path of yellow eyes, and then Matthew's bungee broke and his body tumbled on top of me. I lost my helmet and watched as both he and my equipment spriled to the pit below. In those f few seconds of light, I also caught a glimpse of the strange creatures. They resembled scorpions made entirely of the stone-faced walls, but with two stingers instead of one. Thankfully, the darkness kept me safe for a few moments longer. Then the cable gave way, and all of us fell in unison. Oh, 100 hours. We have made it to the bottom of the borehole. We are approximately 1,640 kilometers below the surface. The fall from the elevator should have killed us, but somehow we have managed to survive by the grace of God our supplies are even more limited due to the collapse, though. Everything has scattered about in the cave tunnels so far that we have no time to recover them. Instead, we have, be we have to begin the ascent to the facilities above, where the miners were trapped. Our only chance at making it out alive now rests in the secondary team. After saying a few short words for Matthew, I lead the group towards one of the me one of the meandering tunnels. These are just barely large enough to crawl in. They are so hot, this this deep, we are in the edge of the liquid core of our planet, and every move we make draws us closer. The heat is making us tense and delirious along with a con continuous strange noise from the creatures that dwell here. Before long, we reach a large pocket of caves and get to the chance to stand. I spot some of the drones that were once used to survey these mines and feel dread overwhelm me again. The equipment has been dismantled and torn apart by something large, even bigger than the rock scorpions we have already encountered and the deep indentations in the ground warn me that it is taking the same path we are. We should reroute, Jonah suggested. We chose a lower tunnel, one that risks us getting closer to the core. But we have little choice if we want to survive a few more hours without incident. 
we must move from one nightmare to the next, straight towards the mouth of hell. Um, here we go, guys. This is called The Cemetery Files, and this is actually part one. I think there's a part two to it as well. So here we go. The cemetery was a dreary place. It had been around for decades, const constantly expanding outwards into the neighbor neighboring plots of land. The cemetery was incredibly old school, opting to expand rather than exhume and reuse graves like most modern ones do. It was insidious, eating up the world around it and converting it into grave space. I had been working at the cemetery long enough. Heck, I lived there. I live in the groundkeeper's building near the church. It had been converted into a small rudimentary house for caretakers, but I was the but I was the only one. Most of the predecessors had either quit and skipped town or come up missing. I found out why soon enough. The cemetery becomes very strange at night. There were rumors it was built over a portal to hell, and most of the townsfolk brushed off the tall tales. But I believed them. Almost every night, the dead came back to life. They wandered the grounds eating any small animals they could find that had roamed a little too far out from the woods surrounding the property. They were ravenous on several occasions. I had seen them tear groundhogs and squirrels to shreds, masticating the bloody flesh between the sets of yellow decaying teeth. I had taken a carrying a gun to make me feel safe, making the rounds at night. The dead were slow and numb enough. They would lumber around wandering the grounds looking for any piece of living flesh they could turn into their next meal. More often than that, potential meal was me. I didn't fear one I didn't I didn't fear the dead one on one. It was when they moved in the groups of two or three I began to fear them. Surprisingly, the dead weren't the scariest things about the cemetery. It was the uh, the ossuary and the things that lurked within. Several th several times I had passed the old bone house and heard horrible growls, raspy breathing, and on one occasion, a baby crying within. The ossuary was one place I was, to, I was too scared to tread. The dead were one thing, but the unimaginable horrors that waited for me behind the stone walls of the bone house were another. I don't know why, but the dead seemed to be working with the things in the ossuary. One night after, the, after finishing my duties, I had been walking back the groundkeepers back to the groundkeeper's building when I heard a scream cutting across the graveyard. My blood went cold. Someone had come into the graveyard to mourn a loved one and been attacked by a corpse. 
I pulled my gun from its holster and made my way across the cemetery towards the sound of the scream as quick, to, quick as I could. When I arrived, three corpses dragged the body of the elderly woman to the ossuary. I sat and watched them for a moment. The corpse pushed the stone doors of ossuary open. I couldn't help but flinch at the sight of it. I had, I had never gone into the ossuary before, even during the day. The thought of the old old bone house was enough to make me run in fear. But for some reason, my body didn't move. I stood and watched the corpses drag the lifeless body of the woman through the doors. I could hear a maddening, squelching noise, followed by a low and deep twisted growling. I could only listen to the sound of every animal in the world's growling put together into one, billing, one bone chilling noise. The door to the ossuary then shut, pushed closed from the inside. The corpse never left the structure, but I could only assume they were consumed by whatever resides within. I didn't stick around long, long after that. I ran to the groundkeepers, building as fast as my legs would let me. When I reached it, I practically threw myself through the door. I locked the barricade. I locked it and barricaded it within everything I could find. I didn't bother sleeping that night. Deep down, I knew the things in the ossuary knew that I knew about them. It wouldn't be long before one of them got brave and ventured past the stone doors and came for me. I always felt comfortable or comfort when I could see sunlight peeking through the cracks of the newspaper I had taped over the windows. I felt safe again. I composed myself and went to work, putting everything in front of the door back where I had found it. Work during the day was mundane enough. Cut the grass, clean the tombstones, and top off the water in the vases that had flowers in them. Some days I had to dig graves for upcoming funeral services. I was annoyed whenever I had to dig a grave. I couldn't help but but focus on the futility of it. Sooner or later, whoever gets put in the ground will come back up again. I've always considered telling the priest what happened at night. Maybe they could do a blessing over the grounds or something along those lines, but the priests were very intimidating. Something about the way they spoke, the way they moved and watched me out of the corner of their eyes. The priests were impossibly old, their skin paper thin, revealing highways of green and purple veins. Whenever I saw them, I couldn't help but think they were going to crumble away in the wind like old statues. But still they persisted, carrying on with life, almost as if they simply refused to die. Perhaps they were already dead. Maybe they knew the cause of all the madness. Maybe... Just maybe, they were the cause. I didn't bother the priest much. They scared me. Not as much as the ossuary, though. Occasionally, the priest would seek me out, giving me instructions or informing me of a pending funeral that would be taking place in a few days. But after that, they left me to my work. Whenever night fell, the priest would pile into their van and drive off the direction of whenever they called home. 
It was the only way. It was the only time I felt envious of them. They got to leave the cemetery during the night, while I had to stay behind. If you're wondering why I don't leave the cemetery myself, why I don't just jump in my car and drive as fast as the engine would let me, I will not be getting into that. At least not now. Just not. Just know in a way, I'm bound to the cemetery, unable to leave at the moment. But soon enough, I will be free of this place. That night after the priest left the evening, I did my usual routine of walking the grounds looking for any wandering undead and for any trespassers come to mourn their loved ones after hours. After about an hour and a half of doing my rounds, I came across a lone corpse standing in the row of, row of graves. I slowly made my way over, gun raised at the, at the ready. I had just come up behind the corpse when suddenly it spun around, slashing me with a hand shovel that I had carelessly left out during the day and forgot to put back in the supply shed. I could feel the blood oozing down my chest as I backed away from the undead. Somewhere between getting attacked and trying to register what just happened, three more corpses made themselves known. They were crept forward from the darkness surrounding me. I knew what was coming. They, they, would, uh, they would overpower me and drag me into the ossuary where I would face the same fate as the old woman from the night before. I raised the gun and shot the, shot the corpse holding the hand shovel, the bullet crashing into the head and blowing back chunks of debris and rotten gray matter through the exit wound. I spun around it to face the corpse that was standing directly behind me, but before I could react, I was, it was upon me. The corpse began flailing its arms, plumbing, plumbing me to the ground. The dead were incredibly strong and unconsciously uh, began to fade as the other two loomed over me. I knew what was coming. I would find myself at the ossuary door being devoured of, or worse, by whatever was, what was inside. I found myself getting dragged by the legs through the cemetery. Two corpses had my legs while the third had been at the front. I immediately decided the corpse at the front was holding my gun by the barrel. I thought it would get my I thought I could get my legs free. I could wrestle the firearm from the corpse and fire back before they brought me into the ossuary doors. We were getting closer now. I could smell the stench of eternal death that emanated the ossuary now. I had to act. I pulled my legs as hard as I could before my feet fell free from the work boots. The dead immediately turned to my face, or turned to face me, but I was all, but I was ready for them. I planted both feet on the, onto the two corpse chests and sent them flailing backwards. The corpse holding the gun was already on me. He swung into my feet with the force of speeding semi. I could feel the torrent the torrent of blood streaming down my face. I pushed through the pain and threw myself into the corpse. During our scuffle, I managed to wrestle the gun free. I pulled back the hammer and fired a single shot into the brain of the living creature. I took a moment to catch my breath and get up and get up just in time 
to see the other two corpses climbing to their feet. I tried to fire the gun at the closest corpse, but it wouldn't fire. I was out of bullets already. I didn't have time to think. I regripped the gun by the barrel and swung it at the corpse as hard as I could. The second corpse flew over and I stomped on its skull until its head was nothing more than a putrid rotten jelly. Suddenly I fell, fell forward. I forgot about the third corpse. It was on top of me, pounding its fist into the center of my back. I felt like my spine would snap at any moment. I felt helpless, but like this was it. I was going to die here in the middle of the cemetery, beaten to death by a danged corpse. I had just about given up all hope before I heard a sound that made my heart skip a beat. The corpse was pulled off me, and I rolled over the over to see something dragging it away. I couldn't make out what it was, but I did see it I did see it drag the corpse into the ossuary before disappearing from my line of sight. I stumbled to my feet and noticed the other two bodies had disappeared. My blood ran cold when I realized I had been inches away from one of the creatures that resided inside the ossuary. Why did it save me? Did it even mean to save me? Was the corpse just in the way or its real target? I didn't want to think about it any further. I just wanted to go to sleep and forget this night ever happened. Unfortunately, I couldn't do that. Because the ossuary doors never shut themselves this time, and I noticed a large and bloody bite mark on my forearm. Thank <laughs> you.